So last week we spoke about the presence of God. I hope uh, your appetite was at a whole new level after that. I'm praying that you sort of went and spent an extra few minutes, spent an extra hour maybe in prayer. And uh, we're going to continue on in that journey. And uh, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but uh, I may be a bit distracted this morning because there is a very beautiful woman in the audience. <laughs> My beautiful wife, Leah, is in the building. But yes, very, very much taking care of Bubby. But uh, we love you. I love you. It's a joy. Uh, if I just look a bit romantic, it's because she is in the room. Presence of God. I want to talk about from the life of a guy called David. If there's anybody who could teach us about the presence of God, it would be this guy called David. And I'm calling this message pause. Pause. Really, it's about pulling back. Really, it's about just taking a moment. Pause for the presence of God. If there's one guy that could talk about the presence of God, if there's one guy that could teach us. Funny enough, he was living in the Old Testament, but just somewhat tapped into this deep hunger, this deep uh appetite for the presence of God and I want to parachute into a story that we'll build context around as we journey along today this is what it says in first Samuel 30 verse 1 David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziglag by the way my uh, sorry downpourlive.com forward slash SOW you'll have all the scriptures again I'm going to keep going they attacked Ziglag and burned it down. Verse 2, it says, And had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it, it was destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength. I want you to remember those words. They wept so much that they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel, Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men, now this is the part, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But check this out. But David found strength. The men had no strength. But David found strength in the Lord his God. The New King, New King James call says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. I want to read one more passage of scripture. Uh, it's, a, it's a very profound passage of scripture. You may have never read this before. You've never heard about this one. But I'm going to try and bring it to you this morning. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Written by the same guy, David, who strengthened himself in the Lord. And he restores my soul. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. He restores my strength. Father, I thank you for this morning. I pray for every person in this room. I pray that there will be a deep appetite that will, that will, that will pursue you beyond the brokenness, beyond any bitterness, beyond any scars, beyond any losses, that we will be people that will learn to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We don't need a mentor. We don't need a counselor. We don't need another pill. We don't need another guide. We don't need another sermon. We don't need another podcast, but we will learn to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. I pray that. I declare that from the front to the back, that we would depend on you knowing that you are drawn to us as we draw near to you. I pray this morning 
that your presence would fall in this place, that people would recognize it. Surely God is among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever felt like nothing you've done? Thank you so much, Hari. You are amazing. You are amazing. Have you ever felt like there's everything you've done, nothing's working? Every direction. You know, I've met people sometimes like, yeah, that's not working, that's not working, but at least my job's working. That's not working, but I'm excited about uni. Uh, that's not working, that's not working, but there's a baby on the way. That's not working, that's not working, but we're going on holidays. Like, there's something. But what about times in our lives, and I think all of us, if you've lived long enough, all of us have experienced moments where nothing's working. Families not working, relationships are not working, finances are not working, careers are not working, the bed's not working, Netflix is not working, like nothing's working. You know what I'm saying? You go to drive through, they make you wait like a Russian restaurant, like nothing is working, nothing's working, nothing's working, everything's just wrong. I want you to understand that in 1 Samuel 30, if you're a, if you're a, if you're a Windows user, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> In 1 Samuel 30, side note, I walked into kids' church and they're making a sign like I haven't written in five years, writing my daughter's name on paper. What's happened? Oh, my Windows has been having an update. Since when? Since seven weeks ago. But <laughs> nothing's working. Nothing's working. Nothing's working. David in 1 Samuel 30, that's where David's at. I want, I want to paint the picture because we can parachute into the text and just read about how David strengthened himself in the Lord. But there was a reason why he had to strengthen himself because there was no strength elsewhere. So to give you the context, David was called forth by a prophet called Samuel and, 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 and was called as to be the next king. He was not the king yet, but he was the next king. And the current king, King Saul, for whatever reason, got jealous of him and focuses all his energy, all his resource, all his time to destroy this one man called David. So the very, very king that he was serving, he, he was not chasing him down the road with spears, throwing things at him, like it was just crazy. And so we've got David who's been, been chased down the road by the king, not, not just by some friend, not just some random person, the king, the guy who controls everything. And because of that, David also does not have too much access to his family. Now, we all know that in some ways that he's, he's had a dysfunctional family to begin with. But this added to the dysfunction where people are sort of blaming him. And he's not probably seen family members for ages. And so he can't even go to his family. And this divides the nation because his own people are sort of like, are you really with us? Are you really for us? Do you care for us? You know, you know when troubled times come People start losing their trust. And so that's where David's at. So his friends have gone. People have unfriended him. People have stopped talking to him. All sorts of things. So, so, but, but what you got to understand is before 1 Samuel 30 is 1 Samuel 29. And the craziest thing happens in 1 Samuel 29 where a lot of people don't recognize this. Things got so bad for David that he actually goes to the Philistine nation. This literally happens in the Bible. And the reason he goes there and he says to them, can me and my family stay with you because I'm so concerned about the security of my family that I think if King Saul can't get to me, he's going to kill my family. So he says, in the way we're going to do this is I will not fight the Israelites or anything, but if there's any gangs or rebel tribes that come against the nation of Philistine, you can use me to get rid of them. He literally tries to make a deal with the enemy. The Philistines turn around and say, we don't want you. You know, it's a bad day when the devil even doesn't want you. 
You feeling rejected now? <laughs> Talk to David. So you've got the king who doesn't want you. You've got your family and your friends who doesn't want you. And you think even the devil thinks you're a bit of a liability. <laughs> and so this is the moment. So I want you to picture this. This is, this is, where, this is what's going through David's mind. He is, where's my king at? Where's my family at? Where's my, you know, there's no Medicare support. It's been cut off. He doesn't even have a username. Saul's taking it out. Password's going crazy. He changes the laptop from a PC to a Mac. Still doesn't work. It's just, it's just killed at the source. Keep up with me, people. Keep up with me. <laughs> and, so, and so we've got David just, and so he's walking back to this town called Ziglag. Now, the thing about Ziglag was, Ziglag was this town in between. It was on the outskirts of Israel, but not too into the nation of, of, of Palestine. Sort of like Tasmania. We don't know if they're from New Zealand. We don't know if so Ziglag. So they're going to Ziglag. And so they're in Ziglag, and they're camped up, and David's got like 400 men that have followed him. The reason why these 400 men have followed him is because they've experienced rejection of their own. So they've gone to David and they've said, we want to follow you. We want to be with you. We're going to, you know, your problems are problems. Your blessings are blessings. All that sort of thing. The whole exchange thing happens. And so he, these men are following him through town until they come back to their town where their families have, have sort of put tents up and sort of living as nomadic groups. But when they return... Their family, in the absence of all the males, get attacked by this, by this bunch of people called the Amalekites. And the Amalekites take their donkeys, take their horses, take their carriages, take their women, take their kids. Doesn't kill anybody, but just takes them all. So this is where David's at. So now, his own people are beginning to reject him. So you've got the king that wants to kill him. You've got his own family that's trying to disown him. You've got the enemy that doesn't want a piece of him. And then you've got his friends that want to stone him or get him stoned. Some of you are like, at least that's recreational in the middle of all this. At least, no, no, no. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> at least David had some little, you know, it was pretty bad, but at least he's smoking a joint. No, no, no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the literal act of killing him, stoning him, using actual stones to kill him. All right? And so David is in this moment, and they're looking at him, and I want you to feel the tension. I want you to feel the pressure that, that all these things are happening. And, and so we, we, on his way back, this group attacks him. And in fact, I want to pull up verse 6, and now I want to read verse 6 with, with that whole tension. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit. Bitterness is a bad thing. Because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord. But David found strength in the Lord. Side note, if the source of your strength comes from people, then the source of your strength is quite feeble. See, the, the reason why David could find strength in the Lord was because the source of his strength did not come from his team. It did not come from his family. It did not come from a support group. It did not come from how many likes that his post got. It did not come from how many reshares he got. It did not come from who turned up or who did not turn up. But David learned to strengthen himself in the Lord. If the source of your strength comes only from people, then the source of your strength is quite feeble. So you've got David in this place, and he's coming to, he, I want you to think about this, the pressure of leadership. I can imagine there were some people in that group saying, David, you're a leader. What do we do next? 
David, you're a leader. Like, let's put up a conference. David, you're a leader. Let's let's send out a message. Let's let's put out a Facebook post. Let's do something to inspire people. David, you're a leader. Let's call for a meeting. David, you're a leader. Let's just buy everybody cheesecakes from somewhere. Like whatever to up the mood in the room. David, you're our leader. David, come on, you can handle this. You've been in a mess before. You can handle this mess. David, you've killed Goliath. You can take this thing down. And you know what David does? Nothing. He just chooses to strengthen himself in the Lord. Now, what does that really mean? Was it worship workout? <laughs> like Zumba praise? What, what does strengthen yourself in the Lord? I mean, I'm going to keep going at this until I feel this freedom in the room. I feel there's something tightening. I'm not sure if it's your rego or I'm not sure what's happened, if there's a BSB error. But I just feel like there's a little bit of freedom that needs to come in the room. So I'm going to keep going, all right? <laughs> but, but So we've got, we've got David who's, who's strengthened himself. And we find this little key. And this little key is found in Psalm 27. David, who wrote Psalm 27, it says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall, what? Strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Here's what I realized, church. The way you strengthen yourself is by waiting on God. By waiting on God. And this is such a controversial message through all generation, but this is the greatest controversy in our generation because we rate great service based on quickness as opposed to waiting. But God is saying, the way you enter breakthrough, the way you enter my promises, the way you enter my presence, the way you are, are able to access what I have for you is not by rushing, it's not by quickening, it's not by doing 72 different things, it's purely by waiting. I'm not saying just waiting in the sense of being patient. I'm saying the literal act of waiting. And I discovered, I, I stumbled on this this way, this promise, this understanding. Many years ago, I was a teenager and I heard this preacher talk about it. He was doing incredible things around the world and, and he was talking about all these amazing things that God was doing and healings and miracles and all that sort of stuff. And, but, but he was said a little thing. It was a, it was a comment in passing and the comment was something on the lines of his prayer schedule being six hours a day. So I hear that as a teenager, I'm like, Wow. I want what's on his life. But in everything that he said, it wasn't all the contacts he had. It wasn't the network that he had. It wasn't the friends that he had. But something about him praying six hours a day stood out to me. And I remember as an 18, 19-year-old said, I'm going to do that. So I remember waking up one day and just preparing myself and said, I'm, in fact, I said, oh, I don't have faith for six. Let's try three. So, you know, I put a clock on. I said, I'm going to pray for three hours. I had it all planned, what I'm going to pray for, who I'm going to pray for. I was for two weeks before that, I was getting prayer requests from everybody, anybody that had anything looking like a prayer request, I was adding to that list just to sort of top up that, 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 the, the, the timeline of, of hitting those three hours. And so, so I'm like, you know, so I get into this place of prayer and got some music on and I'm worshiping and, you know, I'm praying and I go through my points and praying for this and praying for the universe, praying for, pray for my friends first, pray for my neighbors, then pray for the animals, pray for the pets, pray for the street, pray for the planet. I'm done with planet Earth. I'm playing for planet Mars, you know, and I'm like, I stop and I'm like, surely at least an hour. I look at the clock, seven minutes. 
And I'm like, how does this guy do it? It's impossible. It's impossible. You know what I'm saying? He was a lot older. I was a lot younger. I had more energy, fervency, brain, and all that sort of nothing. Seven minutes. And so I was disappointed. I said, you know, nothing's going to come out of this. And so I went on with my day. And then a few, as the days went, I started having scriptures coming up in me. Like, wait upon the Lord. Draw near, and I'll draw near to you. You know, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Just scriptures started bubbling up in me. Just bubbling up in me. I didn't even know what was happening, but just something started bubbling up in me. And so unplanned, because of that, because of the emotion I was feeling, I went into my room and just allowed those scriptures to just permeate my thought, permeate my head, permeate my mind, and just begin to, I didn't even know I was doing it, but worship God through those scriptures. And all of a sudden, if, uh, it's hard to explain it, but it was almost like, you know, when something, when, you know, if you have a refrigerator and suddenly something gets on in there, like that, you know, that, that fuse, just that's some, some sort of a noise, some sort of a feeling, some sort of a presence, I, I begin to sense. It was like that. And instantly I was like, he's here. No one had to tell me, I just knew it. I begin to sense waves, I begin to sense rivers i begin to sense this peace i begin it was not human peace it was a deep kind of peace it was this peace from another source peace from another planet peace from a different place i just begin to enjoy his presence enjoy that moment and i was just lost in it and then i felt like that moment was gone and i said oh that was a great five minutes I look at the clock, an hour and a half went by. And I asked myself, maybe was that what that preacher meant when he said prayer? As opposed to what I was trying to manufacture? Maybe was it a place of ease? Maybe was it a current of God's rhythm? Maybe was it a wave of God's river? What was it? Maybe it was just a drawing in, a leaning in, a surrendering with no agendas, with no plans, with no forcefulness. But just this ease of going into the presence of God. Friend, that day I learned or I understood the art of waiting on God. And all of a sudden I started looking at scripture and I would see everywhere. I will wait upon the Lord. I will wait patiently upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Those that wait upon the Lord shall rise up with wings like eagle. They shall run and not grow weary. All these scriptures begin to come up waiting, waiting, waiting. And I begin to understand this concept of waiting was not a one-time moment in history but it was an ongoing routine of every person that God used in a mighty way to wait on him. Wait on him for no particular reason. Wait on him with no agendas, but a deep invitation. And you begin to understand that as you begin to do that, something begins to happen. What am I trying to say? A pause. A pause to enter the presence of God. And so I want to share with you three thoughts of what happens. What happens when we wait? What happens when we wait? Because that's what we're doing for the next 10 days. We're taking moments. We're taking time down for church to wait on God. The reason why we're praying, the reason why we're fasting, the reason why we're going after God is not just, yes, we're believing for stuff. We've got miracles and things, but that's not the main thing. It is just to be before Him. It's just to come around Him. It's just to come in His presence, to wait on Him. And, and so I believe this is an appropriate message for all of us as we enter into a time of just waiting. Not forcing God, but just waiting on God. Here's three things that happen when you wait on God. The first one, something of substance. 
something of substance. Micah chapter 7, verse 7, it says, Therefore I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Therefore I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the Lord of my salvation. My God will hear me. I will look to God. And as I look to Him, I'm going to wait upon Him. And my God shall hear me. Church, I want you to know, when you wait upon the Lord, something of substance comes upon you. Something of heaven comes upon you. Last week, I shared with you about Smith Wigglesworth and shared about some incredible stories. And that got me worked up. That got my appetite going. So I downloaded a bunch of his books and started reading some testimonies. And I, and I read this story, this crazy story of how Smith Wigglesworth was invited to this home of, of, of a young couple. And we do not know what happened there, but the lady was literally what they said was a maniac. She had just lost her mind. And to the point of did not want to hold a baby, did not want to see her husband. In fact, the story says that when Smith visited them, the husband trying to kiss her and she just moved away, just sort of pushed them off. And she was just crazy. And, and, and Smith saw the desperation and he saw this lady. And in fact, the story goes on to say that she was a beautiful lady, but just was at the mercy of these demonic strongholds, just lost her mind. And, 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 and the story goes on to say that he had no faith. He had no faith in him. He felt this was beyond repair. This was beyond anything that he could do. And then something bubbled up in him and he said the word compassion bubbled up in him. And literally in that same room as this lady is going crazy, he begins to wait upon the Lord. And I'm, I'm, I'm butchering the story, but it says something's on the lines of he, he feels like he, he gets carried up as he waits on God. He begins to be carried up. It's, it was almost like his being, his mind. He was still physically there, but his mind got lifted above the room, above the house, into the sky. He got carried up, and, and, and all of a sudden, he began to feel like he was in heaven. This is all in his mind, just as he's waiting on God. He felt like he was in heaven. In fact, I want to read uh, one of the words. It says, as I waited, I realized if you need to get anything from God, you will have to pray right into heaven. If you need anything from God, you will need to pray right into heaven. I think a lot of times the reason why our prayers are where is that is because we're praying right into planet earth. But here this guy is praying right into heaven. He's lifting the ceiling. He's praying right into, he into heaven. And then it says, and as he waited, a new realm of faith came on him. A faith that grasped the promises of God. A faith that believed the word of God. And then literally the story goes on to say, he came back. And then looked straight into the lady's eyes and said, come out of her. And boom, what happens is she rolls over, sleeps for 14 hours, wakes up completely sane. When you wait on God, the substance that comes on you. When you wait on God, heaven comes upon you. When you wait on God, the thoughts of God comes upon you. When you wait on God, there's a presence, there's an encounter, there's a depth that is not from the source of human beings, but the source of heaven. There's something that is so significant that you and I, friend, we cannot produce it, but heaven is the source of it. When we wait upon God, something shifts. Waiting on God produces something of substance. That's why Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, 
the evidence of things not seen. See, a lot of times we struggle in our faith because there is no substance. But that substance is produced by waiting on God. That substance is produced by focusing in worship. That substance is produced by meditating on that scripture. That's where that substance lies. And when we get a hold of that substance, it might be an emotion. It might be a feeling. It might be an intuition. It might be an understanding. All of a sudden, faith comes alive. All of a sudden, you look at your world in a whole different perspective because waiting produces substance. Here's my second thought. When we wait on God, we get strength for the journey. Strength for the journey. Isaiah 40 verse 31, it says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They that wait upon the Lord. Guess what happens? This is what's going to happen in the next 10 days, Downport Church. As we wait upon the Lord, our strength is going to be renewed. You've got to be excited about that. You're going to mount up with wings like eagle. You're going to have new vision. You're going to have new perspective. You're going to get an aerial view. You shall run and not grow weary. You shall walk and not grow faint. You know, the journey of life gets us tired. The journey of life gets us weary. It's okay to feel that way. A lot of times people start beating themselves down when they get weary. It's like there's nothing wrong. It's just the fact that you're human and probably the focus has shifted. But the journey of life wears us down. We get weary. It's okay. We get tired. But, and, and the problem is the world teaches us that when we get tired, quit. When you feel stressed, divorce. When you feel weary, blame somebody else. But the Bible teaches us that when we get tired, wait upon the Lord. Because when you wait upon the Lord, you shall renew your strength. When you wait upon the Lord, all of a sudden, you know, in fact, this, I'm being a bit funny here, tongue-in-cheek moment, but if 1 Samuel 30 was written today, it happened today, and David was stressed, and his people were trying to kill him, and so David quit. End of the story. And I think so many of us are writing that version of 1 Samuel 30 in our own life, but what would it be like if we reached a dead end? That we will realize that it's not a dead end, but it's a moment. It's an invitation to wait upon the Lord, to look to the heavens. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker. Not from my friends, not from anybody else. The maker of the universe. Come on, somebody. They that wait upon the Lord. I want to prophesy over you, Downport Church, that as you wait on God, there's going to be renewed strength. As you wait on God, there's going to be fresh vision. As you wait, wait on God, you're going to get an aerial view. As you wait on God, you're going to have the ability to run when nobody else is running around. We read this through and through in the Bible. Prophet Elijah, Prophet Elisha got weary, got weak. But not once did God say, well, maybe it's time for a career change. Well, maybe we just need to lower down the faith. Maybe we just need to simmer down a bit. Maybe we just need to, no, 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 no. When you feel weary, it's an invitation to wait. It's your body telling you not to quit. It's your body telling you to lean into God. It's your body telling you, no, there's strength for the journey ahead. No, there is new resources. No, there is renewed vision. No, there is new life for the things ahead of you. In fact, I felt as I was preparing this message, there was somebody even at a place where you have been blaming your marriage for everything that's going on in your life. And I feel like the Lord sent me here to tell you to wait upon God because God's going to renew your marriage in a fresh way. 
God's going to renew your relationship. In fact, the best days of your marriage were not behind you. Your honeymoon was not the best days. The best days are ahead of you. I want to prophesy over you. Newness in relationship, newness in that marriage, newness in that business, newness in that perspective, newness in that finance. I want to prophesy renewed vision, renewed hope, strength from heaven as we wait on God in Jesus' name. Why don't we take a moment to praise God for strength that is available. For strength that is present. I want to tell you, church, there's more vision. There's more strength. There's more places to conquer. There's more buildings to get. There's more churches to plant. There's more campuses to get out there. There's more. The greatest leaders of downpour are not on the platform. They're not even saved yet. They're not even saved yet. I want you to know there is more that God has for you as we wait on Him. He refreshes us. He renews us. He revives us in Jesus' name. Number four, number three. As we wait on God, we receive stillness for strategy. Stillness for strategy. What is waiting? Waiting is being still. In fact, another scripture says, be still and know. A lot of times we say, I just want to know. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> I just want to know. But the Bible says, be still. And then you shall know. Be still and I'll give you new information. Be still and I'll give you fresh vision. Stillness for strategy. If I can get Huddy up, that would be fantastic. I need some mood music to get this point across. Stillness. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The same guy, David, 1 Samuel 30, wrote Psalm 23. Then he says, and he leads me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Do you know the reason why some of us cannot wait is because we are unwilling to be led? See, if you've got this message as, I just need to lock everything down. I just need to tie my hands and wait. No, no, no. Literally, it's an internal posture of submission. See, I can be in the busiest of traffic and still be led to still waters because he leads me. He leads me beside still waters. This is probably the most important point of my message, so I'm not done. I just wanted worship atmosphere to really catch, catch you on this. So don't close your books. Don't tap out. Don't make lunch plans. This is probably the most important point. He leads me beside still waters. Do you know for hundreds of years, human beings only knew the way they looked by looking at still waters? I'll say that again. Do you know for hundreds of years before mirrors were ever discovered, the only way a human being knew what they looked like was not rushing waters, was not the beach, was not waterfalls, it was still waters. The reason why some of us feel so weary is because we haven't looked at ourselves. And when, you, when he leads you to still waters, you look at your face and you look at, literally, you know what you look at? How beautiful you are. You look at the image of God. You look at the creation that he's called you to be. See, I've been preaching about hope and imagination. How can you have any imagination if you do not know your image? He leads me beside still waters. And then he restores my soul. And then he puts strength in me. 
And then he encourages me. And then he tells me you can live another day. And then he says there's fresh vision for you. See, I'll tell you why David knew this. I'll tell you why David knew this. Because David had to face the greatest giant of his life, a giant called Goliath. And then he puts on Saul's armor. And he's walking around all wobbly. And everyone's like, is this kid going to even do it? He's just walking all <laughs> wobbly. <laughs> and then he says, wait a minute, Saul. You know, what the, you know what the Bible says? He went to the brook. And he took up, what was he doing? He was looking at his image. I want you to picture this. This, this is going to change how you see the David story. His hands had to go through his face and take out five stones that were going to slay the giant before him. We sometimes look too much upwards when God's saying, look within. When you wait upon the Lord, you shall rise up with wings like eagle. You shall run and not grow weary. You shall walk and not grow faint. When you get into the presence of God, you don't just find God, you find yourself. That's what we need. See, I want you to understand, we are designed, it is impossible to live the human life without the presence of God. We need the presence of God. It's the presence of God is the oxygen to our soul. It's when we breathe that presence in, our image comes alive, our being comes alive. And all of a sudden we can see with new perspective, we can get, gain new strength. And guess what? We also, give, we also get a new strategy. Saul's strategy was armors. David's strategy was stones. As he looked into still waters. Downport Church, as we enter a time of waiting, as we enter a time of prayer, as we enter a time, let's not, let's not go around this like it's another, oh, we've done this last year, we've done this the year before. Let, let every moment be like it's the very first time. Let this fast be like the very first fast we've ever done. Let this moment of worship be like the very first moment of worship. Let, let, let this be a moment that is holy. Let this be a moment that is divine. Let this be a moment where we get before still waters. When I'm crazy, when I'm rushed, when I'm exhausted, the first thing I need to do is to get before the presence of God. The presence of God. And when we do that, something incredible begins to happen. Something incredible begins to come within. Something incredible begins to change. Downport Church, are you hungry for the presence of God? Let there be a hunger among us. Let us not be known for our building. Let us not be known for our programs. Let us not be known for our branding. Let us not be known for our logo. Let us not be known for our music. Let us not be known for our preaching. For those people are different because they're carriers of his presence. Let us be. See, the, the thing that was different about the nation of Israel among any other nation was not their buildings. It was not great preaching. It was not incredible leadership, as important as that is. It was not big budgets. It was not trampolines and jumping castles. The thing that made Israel unique was God poured his presence upon that nation. And that's what he wants for you and I to pour upon us his presence, to be carriers of his presence. That, my friend, makes all the difference. All the difference. All the difference. Why don't we stand up right now? 
and just surrender. Don't force ourselves, just surrender.